Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today we are doing our top 10 games that we would keep in our collection after calling all the other ones. Yeah, so it's going to be a fun episode day, kind of thought experiment. What if you had to take everything in your home or wherever you keep your collection, maybe you keep it in the back of your car, um, and cull it down just to 10 games? What 10 games would stay there? And I think that hopefully the hope of is that this exercise will teach us some about maybe why we have certain games in our collections, what games, what, what our relationship through time with certain games games we really love is and i think we're hoping that the episode will get into maybe what our essential game experience is and how maybe that's different than what our top 10 games would be we want to be really clear we know we recently did a top 10 games of all time episode for each of us which was really fun to return to but we're thinking of this as being a different exercise that will kind of tease out our relationship with the games that we have and choose to keep as a curated part of our collection there's some overlap in my list but there's also some games on my top 10 that I'm not including here for one reason or another. So it'll be fun to get into that as well. I just want to say right now that if you're in the Discord, make sure after listening to this episode, you come in and tell us what 10 games that you would keep. I think that'll be a really fun and interesting discussion to have. And I I already can't wait to see what games other people are picking as their most essential. Um, And then at the end of this episode, Brendan has a special something. It's a secret announcement or I don't know what. He hasn't even told me. So we're setting the last 12 to 15 minutes aside for him to illuminate us all on what the heck is going on. So you're definitely going to want to stick around and and tune into that. Okay, Jake. So to kick things off, I'm curious. What was your approach to building a 10-game collection from your current collection? Well, first of all, I want to say no cheats here, okay? I'm not doing any games that are like, okay, this game has a bunch of dice and a bunch of numbered cards, so this can technically count as like five or six games. Like, if I wanted to have Liar's Dice or Perudo in my collection, I would be putting on that the list. on the list, not, you know, some ga- game that has 25 dice in that I could effectively play Perudo or Liar's Dice with. See, I had the exact same thought, and I thought to myself, should I message Jake no cheats? And I was like, no, he's got it. We're on the same page. If you want fake artist goes to york you can't include pencils in your in your list yeah there's so that you won't find like a deck of cards you know playing cards or whatever on my list so that was one thing and then to actually create my list i looked in a couple places Uh, i've recently been annotating my top 50 game list i actually just finished that so if you're a patron you can go find it on patreon right now patreon.com slash decision space but also i'm planning to put it up on board game geek as like a geek list at some point in the future um but you should join our patreon please so i looked at that and that was sort of like i think my top 10 games will largely be encompassed on this list so that was sort of my starting point and then i narrowed it down to think about like what situations do i actually find myself playing games on the table and those were the games that i wanted to keep not ones that i just love but i'm mostly playing it online or you know a top 10 game that some of the games in my top 10 lists i don't actually own so those weren't going to be on the list either and i kind of yeah. used that parameters to narrow it down yeah that's awesome that's super helpful i think for me a huge component of it too was was that element of what are the game experiences that i view as essential for games that i want to have on hand for the context that 
I'll be playing games from out of my collection with, which is slightly different than what are the games that I would want to just that I love the most to play. Right. That's like yeah. a different thing, because if I'm going to collection to a convention, I know other people are bringing games and some of those games might be some of the games I enjoy playing most. I just don't happen to own them. Um, so these in my mind are kind of the essential game experiences that I would want to have on hand if the opportunity in my regular day to day life presented itself. So I found for myself, Jake, while building this list, I was thinking about my family a lot. I was thinking about my friends who don't necessarily play games often a lot because those tend to be the ex- the the sort of game playing experiences that I really value and also the ones that where my personal collection comes into play way more. So that's kind of to set the stage. I think a really important element of my collection for me was what experiences that I might have do I not want to potentially give up? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um and then a couple more just general factors. I, I completely agree with you. It, it was really tough to do this because a lot of times I'll say something when we're evaluating a game. Like I'll say, I love Azul. It's 10 out of 10 game. It's a perfect coffee game, right? To play a nice game in the morning over coffee. But I don't actually do that with my (laughs) wife. You know, so Azul, not on the list for that reason. It's like, I have a lot of games in my collection that are like for a a specific thing. And sometimes that situation arises, but it's not like the most common situation that I'm playing games in. So factoring that in, I totally agree with you. And then there were some like general things I was looking for. If I'm going to have a 10 game collection, then I'm going to be able to go deeper in those games. Mm. So I wanted, I, I evaluated depth in games a lot more than I do when I'm typically evaluating a game or rating games, because when I'm doing that, I'm thinking about my you know, 100 plus game collection that I have in my basement where I'm probably not going to be playing the same game, you know, 10 times in a year or whatever. But if I only have 10 games, then I am. So that was a factor that elevated things higher on this list than on my top 10 of all time list. Yeah, the same for me. And I also did a lot of thinking about mechanisms and just different genres of games I would want to play and have access to. Whereas maybe if I was just making a top 10 list, I wouldn't think about that as much. It was just the 10 favorite games that I had. Whereas here I was like, okay, I need access to this type of experience within my collection so that I can go to that and feed that part of what I enjoy. And I will say, Jake, this was really difficult. There were there were some painful cuts for me that I ended up having to make that maybe after we state the list, uh, we could go into. I guess doing it at the at the top might provide some spoilers. So okay, we'll I'll save our honorable down. mentions to the end. What do you say, Brendan? Let's get into our list. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so mine are in no particular order. I guess if I did an order, it was uh, most obvious at the top of my list. So most obvious to sort of least obvious will be the way I'm reading this out. Uh, So my very first game, the most obvious game that I just wrote down right away was Keyforge. Oh, nice. I love Keyforge. It's probably my wife's favorite game to play with me these days. Um, It's the one we play together most frequently. So it was a no-brainer for that reason. It's also, I have a lot of Keyforge stuff. I'm keeping it all. Like, (laughs) this allows me to keep a lot of of content. And just from like the sheer volume of things I have, uh, I have just so much variety and I would never grow sick of, you know, picking different decks, playing them against each other. Um, And then this also has sort of that 
depth to both the strategies in the game, but it allows for thinking and having fun with the game outside of play, which I think is mm. important as you have fewer games. So you can really kind of do some theory crafting with Keyforge. You can spend time with your collection trying to evaluate uh, which decks might be good. There's a new format in Keyforge called Alliance where you can pick three different houses from three different decks. So you could actually get some of that deck construction stuff, which a lot of modern board gamers aren't fond of doing that sort of like pre-work before the game. But if I'm only going to have 10 games, that's going to give me a lot of hours of satisfaction and enjoyment doing that stuff uh, with this game. So for all those reasons, it's a game I love. It's a great two-player game. It's got a ton of depth. Keyforge was the first no-brainer on my list. Okay, so this brings up another point that about me building my list that I want to ask you about. So for me, there was an element of, okay, I love uh, that's the specific hypothetical game, but I've played it 50 times. Yeah. Do I need to keep that in my collection? So there's some recency bias here where if I have a shiny new game, maybe I didn't, I wasn't ready to give that up yet. And yeah. I know Winds of Exchange just came out. Do you think that new Keyforge set, so the game is on hiatus for a minute, new sets just came out. Jake got some flashy ones. One even has his name printed on it. Um, so do you think that played a played a role in this? I think I consider the same thing. I think recency bias definitely did play an effect, but in large part, that's because it triggered more opportunity to play and have fun with Keyforge <laughs> yeah, yeah, again. Sure. Yeah. So since I've been playing it and having fun with it, it's on my mind. But yeah, same, same with you. Uh, there are games that I've played a ton. Probably that's a slight knock against them. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So I also started kind of most obvious in my list to least obvious. So the first game that I just put on top of my list, it's included, is Babylonia. Yeah. Reiner Knizia's Babylonia. Okay. So Babylonia is currently my favorite game of all time. It, but the thing about Babylonia, it's a tiling game kind of in the genre of uh, Knizia's Tigris and Euphrates or Samurai or Blue Lagoon. But the thing about Babylonia that sur surprised me so much is it provides a, a really full feeling board game experience that I can put in front of non-gamers and have them making interesting, meaningful decisions really quickly. It, it engages everyone at the table and has exciting moments. And I'm just, I don't see myself tiring of exploring it. So this is one that if if the shredding machine was coming my way, it's it's not going in. It's no. on the list of 10 that it won't be cold. Nice. I think everybody listening to this podcast yeah, knew no surprise that there. was coming. Yeah. Um, my number two on my list, another Reiner Knizia game, Rhino Kniz coming in hot, <laughs> no surprise. And for similar reasons, but I picked Raw. That's my favorite Kinesia game, an incredible distilled auction game where you basically just have to decide auction or no auction on your turn. For me, this sim similarly fits a great spot of being a game I can play with my family. I think it's just on the right side of the complexity line that I feel comfortable teaching this game to almost anyone who's willing to give it a try uh but also it's a game that i know i could also bring to a game night with gamers and we'll have a ton of fun with it so having that sort of duality of opportunity to play it is huge and to boot it has one of the nicest productions in all of board games now so really a no-brainer to put raw as one of my 10 games that stays it stays it also makes a ton of sense, Jake, if you're going to build a 10 game collection, you talked about wanting to have games you can play over and over again. An auction game is perfect for that sort of setting, right? Where they get better the more you play them because you get better at evaluating certain decisions within the game so that it rewards repeat plays in a way that just makes it, in my mind, well, we'll see if I have an auction game on my list, but spoilers, I might. <laughs> so I totally see why you included this one. Uh, 
also you have that shiny new 25th century edition of raw which is just gorgeous and a nice thing to have around totally okay so the number two game on my list and this is one that i almost considered cutting because i have played it over a hundred times and i verified that because we totally used the scorecard up in our copy you know the booklet of uh the score pad so that's gone i'm a little bit sad that i that we burned through those but that's cascadia sort of breakout spiel spiel des yares i was told informed that i was pronouncing spiel des yares wrong that it's a hard s for the des so i'm working on that uh but it's spiel des yares winner cascadia this is an entangled drafting decision game this is another one that probably doesn't surprise any longtime listeners of decision space i really love cascadia and i haven't played it a lot in the last couple of months but it's one that i realized that i know i'm going to want to go back to and just really enjoy playing with my wife maya and it's one where i think if i didn't have it sitting around i would you know some games when you say goodbye to them you you don't find yourself missing them and wanting to reach for them and i think the second I didn't have the opportunity to play Cascadia, I would have a little bit of a hole in my in my heart and in my collection where I was wanting to reach for this game and wistfully wishing that it was still around. So I've kept it here. I, I didn't really factor this in. There's also a Cascadia expansion on the horizon, which excites me and intrigues me and I think helps me want to keep my relationship with this game going. I will say the more I've played this game, the more I realized that I really enjoy Cascadia at two. I think it's great at three and I'm much less interested in playing it at four with lots of downtime just because the interaction in the game is so light that it's amplified the fewer players that are there. And that's a real bonus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So it's interesting because you said that games you played a lot might be a downside, but clearly. Yeah, not this one. (laughs) Not this one. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to pick a game that's like just for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. Well, moving right along, my number or my third selection of games I'm keeping is maybe a surprise to some. Um, This one went way up from where it was on my top 50 list, and that is Arkham Horror, the living card game. So this fits right into me for a game that I actually haven't been interacting with that much lately because it's just such a burdensome setup and you have to become really invested in in the story and in your campaign. (laughs) But and so when you've got a bunch of other games, people are bringing over different games or game nights every time. It's difficult for something, a campaign game like this, to get the necessary investment. But if I only had 10 games, having yeah. something like this that offers a full campaign with repeated plays, I have a lot of content already. I could get more. Um I think offers a tremendous amount of value to a collection. It's also, I'm not a, really a big solo gamer, but this is one of the few games that I have truth, truly enjoyed my time with playing solo. So, you know, I want one game probably in my 10 game collection that could offer that. Should the situation come up and I, I you know, I want to play some board games and nobody's around and I don't want to do it online or whatever. So it kind of fits into that one player area. It's also a really deep game. It offers that deck construction element and thoughtfulness outside of play. That's clearly something I'm valuing here. And the final thing I'll say about it is this is a game that is pretty rules complex, difficult to teach, but I think that's a much smaller factor, the smaller yeah. my collection is, right? Because I can, I feel better about investing 45 minutes teaching a friend this game if I know that, you know, it's going to be one of the 10 games that we'll be playing every time they come back over for a game night. Um, so yeah, I mean, Arkham Horror, Living Card Game, it's a great game. When I 
don't play enough because of all the other options I have, uh, but one that's certainly worth the time invested into it. That's awesome, Jake. And I'm really surprised to see this pick because you had basically thrown it into the dumpster during your last our last coverage of <laughs> top 10 games. Not, not quite, but almost. Do you feel like Arkham Horror the Card Game, a game that, you know, in the past you've been super fond of and maybe lessened on in your appreciation of is one that if you did have it in your sort of 10 game evergreen collection that you could engage with it a bunch play through the campaign and then go away and return to the campaign and still have it be interesting does it work on that level definitely yeah so i mean it's so much like a deck driven game that okay if i build a different deck and then i play the same scenario again it's going to be a completely different decision space the card design in arkham horror lcg is really really good so one of the characters i was using just to give an example of how this works uh you get to draw like a whole extra hand of eight cards at the start of the game and then any of those that are event cards go underneath your character card that's sort of like your toolbox that you can use over the course of the campaign oh cool you know playing to that within the deck construction to make sure you have like solo copies of like really impactful events changes everything about how you'd construct the deck and everything about how you play the game and that's just one example of a character and there are like dozens at this point that do equally interesting and different gameplay style things yeah that's awesome and that would make it perfect for a 10 game collection yeah okay jake my next one my the third game that i would definitely include in my 10 game collection is just one one huge consideration when i was making this list was you know how much like lighter games are tougher to include in some ways because the the sort of like footprint on your 10 game collection is really large. So if it's a light game, maybe you're not getting the bang for the buck that you'd want. But just one, despite being a very light game, can sit on the table and take up hours and hours and just create these wonderful sort of energetic, joyful memories. And this is definitely one of those games where I realized right now in my life is just an essential experience that I don't want to not have access to. Um, Because we weren't cheating, I couldn't put something like celebrity in this list, right? And in this spot. And, you know, when I'm going to play games with my family, lately, just one is the one that everyone's requesting. When people come to town, you know, there's a whole library that we can access and my different family members are pretty comfortable with different weights of games. But somehow we always end up going back to just one. And I think it's becoming sort of a family classic that I just if I cut, I would it wouldn't sit right with me. And it would really disappoint a lot of people that I love playing games with. So I've included uh, just one here on my list for that reason. And just one, if folks don't know, is sort of this awesome party game where you're kind of doing machine learning uh, algorithms, but you're the algorithm as a group. So there's a predictive element to it where one person has to guess a word based on the all of the words that someone else, uh, all their cooperative teammates have written down, where the teammates know the word they're trying to get the person to guess, but the person doesn't know. But if two people write the same word, the word goes away. So there's a nice little wrinkle. This one's great. It's just, I, what can I say? Just one's like a $20 game that's m- my favorite party game since Codenames. And if you haven't tried it, definitely consider picking it up. I put it off for way too long, knowing people say, oh yeah, just one's amazing. It's like, yeah, but like, how good could it really be? No, it's that good. It is yeah. that good. It's an incredible game. It's also on board game arena which sounds bad but it's actually a really (laughs) fun way to play uh there's like an eternal mode where you just keep playing and i actually 
played through the entire card list with with a bunch of people on the discord and it was a total blast i've also done sort of zoom game nights with friends that don't live around me and just one is perfect online for that situation as well totally agree with you i think it's a great include on this list and i think one of the things one of the categories of games that i was considering for times i do actually play board games out of my collection are opportunities just for like social play or social fun right where you've got people hanging out and they want to play you know you're there to have fun you you know you know we got to engage and play as adults i keep telling everybody this it's like one of the most important and neglected forms of self-care i know you know this brendan and probably all of our listeners uh, but people like want to we're hanging out people want to play but they don't know that that's what they want yeah they don't to play a board game because they know or they think they know they don't like board games and just one is a perfect game to play that like anybody can play right the rules 30 seconds less than 30 seconds and you're up and running and playing the game and everybody's gonna have a great time Uh, so I included a game that fits into that category as well which I'll share now and I had three games in consideration for this slot just one wavelength and the game I picked was so clover the reason I went with so clover over just one which fills such a similar niche in a game collection is just because I think that the highs in a game of just clover can be even oh so clover yeah sorry (laughs) just clover uh so clover can be just a little bit higher like i think i've laughed a little bit harder at some of the Mm. connections um that people have made in so clover which is a game where you're trying to write one word that joins a two-word pair and you're trying to do that with four different two-word pairs on your individual player board and then everybody's trying to like figure out the orientation of the cards you were dealt based on those clues that you've written down and there are just some really funny things that come up inside jokes that have come up through this game uh it's a little bit less flexible with player count so that's a big downside but for me i think more often i'm playing games in that like three to six players where so clover works great anyway so it was definitely a a negative but overall i I think i just like so clover ever so slightly more than just one for at the table play so clover also you know it asks a little bit more of the player where you're you're puzzling things out and you're taking a little bit more time on your own in a way that i think does reward repeat play if you had a group where i was going to be your game i think you would get really good at making so clover puzzles for each other uh i obviously went the other direction i also enjoy so clover but i'm calling it i'm throwing it in the in the shredder okay so my fourth game is I Jake I love card games you know I love card games they're they're an essential part of how I love to interact with tabletop games in general uh, and a huge part of my journey towards just realizing how much I love games whether it's playing card games with my family uh, to play Magic the Gathering growing up or just you know spoiling myself by existing on a diet of card games to this day but I have no card games on my list so far and that was a problem so one way that I decided to solve that was by adding a card game that's also a board game which is Broom Service. Broom Service is a card-driven game in which you are all trying to claim certain roles at the same time from a shared pool of cards that you all have. Uh, It is a pick-up-and-deliver, sort of beautiful little charming witchy-type themed game, kind of like Kiki's Delivery Service, meets uh, a psychic battle with your friends at the table where you're all trying to guess who's going to do what and get one step ahead. Broom Service is one of my favorite games of all time. I think people have to be in the right headspace for it, and it shifts dramatically by player count. So one 
one one of the reasons why I really wanted to include room service room service is because at two player it becomes this really thinky tactical tactical game which you're breaking down your opponent's position and and really trying to get one step ahead but if you play it with four or five people it can be pretty zany fun where it's almost impossible to solve the puzzle of what people are going to do so you just have to go off gut uh which can create hilarious moments uh with kind of the same joke that plays out every time but in a in a great way that keeps it interesting because the core game itself is this fun delivery of potions system where you're moving around a board making interesting pathing decisions and set collecting some some thunderclouds and uh yeah when I get tired of playing the front side of the board, there's also a ton of expansion content just built into the base box of room service that's really generous. So this just felt like a shoe and pick for me because it's a board game, it's a card game, and it has multiple expansions built into the box. Once I get tired of those, I can flip the board over, play with another board. There, It's just endless fun. I love room service. It was a really close consideration for me. Unfortunately, it didn't make my list despite being in my top 10 games of all time. I found that it's while it's in my top 10, that sort of like midweight Euro game mm. that plays in like 60 minutes to two hours is just, that's my favorite type of game slot. Yeah. And so it's just so competitive and I couldn't have a whole list of 10 games that fit there. So unfortunately, didn't make the list for me, but I absolutely agree with all your rationale why, especially the fact that you get essentially expanded content in that base game box yeah. uh, to really extend the life of the game. But yeah, I love broom service. I love card games. And you know what else I love, Brendan? What? I love cats. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's great. That was a good pun. You get that one. I love it. I, I love your puns. Thanks, man. Okay, so I picked Isle of Cats as well. Um, and for me, if you don't know, this is a game that also has a bit of duality going on. In the base game box, you get a fun family game variant that's very simple and very good, where you're essentially just drafting these funny-shaped polyomino tiles and sticking them on your board and just doing that, and that's the game, and it works great. It's fun. It's fine. And you have the regular style of play, which is this really off-the-wall uh, polyomino tile placement game. Drafting. That is drafting game that's actually sort of like fueled by like almost a Magic the Gathering-esque card system where you have all kinds of different cards that you're drafting that do all sorts of different things and oper activate at different timing windows. Um, so it really becomes a fun and crazy advanced board game that has a lot of depth. So that was pretty much the main reason why I picked Isle of Cats because I think it's a great game for a family game. So it gives me another game in that category. Uh, I have played it with uh, my in-laws to great success, uh, but also it's a game I can bring to game night and play with board game enthusiasts and know I'm having a really fulfilling game experience as well. Yeah. One thing too, I'm it's I'm glad you included a drafting game because I think drafting games are another example of genre of games that just get better the more you play them. You can make more informed decisions the more you play them because you'll understand the card pool more. You gain an ability to read the table more effectively. Uh, so I think this is another one that's just like an obvious slam dunk for you. Yeah. Also, the draft, I think that I didn't even think about the draft. So I'm glad you brought that out. That was a great point. One of the factors I was thinking 
making just getting even more simple than that is just like what of my games that I love include a giant deck of cards mm. because that is just baked in variability. You're never going to play the same game twice because yeah. the cards that you're getting uh, are going to be different from game to game and that's going to influence the way you play the game. Yeah, that's awesome. I like Cats is great. I don't I'm kind of regretting. I don't know if I have a polyomino game on my list. Now I feel silly, but a big mistake. Oh, and everybody's going to have to vote on whose list is better at the end. Oh, yeah, that's sick. We have to do that. Okay. Come to the come to the Discord link in the show notes and make sure you vote and tell us your list of your 10 game collection. But for me, my number five game that I was in definitely wanted to include. I almost cut this one, but then I realized I just can't. I can't do it. It's Keyflower. Keyflower for me is an essential Euro game experience that offers a lot of sort of the the types of decisions that I want to see in my Euro games, even some of the things that sometimes aren't as exciting on face value, like conversions, I find can end up being kind of a boring thing to see in Euro games just because they're so prominent as a mechanism. But for me in Keyflower, they work so well because a lot of the conversions you're doing are just converting things into points and hoping you get the tiles that allow you to convert them for even more points. It's highly interactive. It's an auction game. It's a worker placement game. There's a really rewarding puzzle tied to the hexes that you're laying that you could get better at over the course of time as you practice playing and playing. I've played this game at least 50 times and could easily play it a 50 more, if not even more than that. I really enjoy Keyflower. And I think that it's one where the more I play it, the more I feel my time invested into the game is is rewarded. It's really respectful of the player's time and, and you really learn how to approach certain tile sets as they come out. So this is another one that has great variety because typically you don't see the whole tile pool. So what's good in the game is going to be shifting. You're trying to see how to approach the decisions in any given play. I wanted a heavier, like going on sort of two-ish hour game. So Keyflower is my pick. It's not going anywhere. And I'm thrilled to have it. Well, it is weird that you would pick the uh, third at best game in the key series of games. Uh, (laughs) I can understand why, but it's certainly no key harvest or key pull. Am I right? Okay, that's just me on that take. Just you. Okay. Just you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, my next game, similar thought process here. We're sharing same wavelength. I wanted to pick a game that was more just for me. Uh, another game, honestly, where I'm playing games the most out of my collection are at game night with other board game enthusiasts. So I didn't want to skimp on that category. And I wanted to make sure I have enough games in my 10 game collection to sort of fuel my passion for playing more complicated games with other people that really enjoy that part side of the hobby. And the game I picked here was Bonfire, Mm. one of the best games by Stefan Feld. And the reason I chose this game in particular is because it is more of a sandboxy feel than many of his other games. So you can really pick and choose I guess the game gives the player the agency more so to choose what path they want to go down in any given game. And I think that gives it a lot of replayability. Uh, In this game, I'm going to go big for the cards. In this game, I'm going to go for the... uh, Guardians. Guardians, right, so on and so forth. And then also it has all kinds of different uh, individual objectives that you can claim. And some of those are big and can shape your entire game, especially the ones that involve you creating a certain pattern on your personal player board with the fate tiles. So I think that there's enough kind of inherent content within the sandboxes game that it would take many, many, many plays for me to get tired of it and, and or even more so to feel like I've learned all there is to learn, even 
even more so than a game like the Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, Bonfire almost when you're try- when you're first learning the game can feel a little bit obtuse in its in its sort of how do I approach finding a strategic path through this game? But I think ultimately that ends up being the fun of Bonfire in a way that would make it really rewarding as a ten game collection game to just kind of you could always go back to Bonfire and push and pull and tug on the decisions in the game in a different way. And the systems are novel enough that there's not a lot of other games. It, it, it's checking a lot of boxes while being really unique, which I think lends itself well to a 10 game collection too. Sorry, not trying to review your whole picks, but uh, just felt like I should speak to Bonfire a little bit because it seems like a great one. So I'm in a position, Jake, where I love playing card games and my wife also loves trick-taking games. And I, I really like trick-taking games. They're important to me. Um, and after I had sort of finalized my list, I realized, oh, I don't have a, a good two-player card game, one that I can constantly go back to and just pull out if we I have 20 minutes of time and want to play a two-player game with someone. So I picked a game that I thought would be durable, one that I could just play over and over again, one that I think is a lot of fun, and one that almost anyone can play, uh, and it's The Fox in the Forest. Mm. I think The Fox in the Forest is really one of the best trick-taking games I've ever played. It's just fun, and the box is charming and cute, and it's approachable and interesting and the powers in the game are really novel and keep the game fresh there's three suits you know i i don't own jekyll versus hyde another great asymmetric uh the fox in the forest isn't asymmetric but another great two-player trick taking game that is asymmetric and if i did own jekyll versus hyde i would still pick fox in the forest and i really like jekyll versus hyde but fox in the forest is just it's comfort gaming for me through and through a game i really enjoy and one i couldn't bear parting with despite just being a small box card game yeah no i think that's a great pick although i think a better pick it's a great pick for you Uh, yeah and i mean right that's also speaks to how personal these are i would never pick that for my list just because that's not something that gets played around here um but i think you missed messed up a little bit when you should have just picked a deck of cards because that could have been (laughs) spades and hearts and diamonds and regicide oh my gosh and cheating (laughs) i'll jump over to my next game and boom it's the castles of burgundy another one just for me um another game that i think works great at two player another game that's great for game night that i personally will never get sick of you know even 100 plays on i still love that game i think i don't need to really introduce castles of burgundy um too much just to say that it's a classic midweight euro dice action selection game which is just my favorite type of game all time so i was going to pick one of those to be in my 10 game collection and the castle of burgundy for me my second favorite game of all time was an obvious choice i think it doesn't have as much inherent variability as Mm. some of the other ones that'd be the one downside for it i have just like the classic old school Aaliyah ravensburg version of this game maybe if i wanted to cheat i would say i'll upgrade it to the forgotten realms or whatever not what is that company called uh i'm not sure the new enhanced deluxe digital version right with awakened realms awakened realms yeah then uh that has like all the expansions in it and that would probably be the way to go if you wanted to have the castles of burgundy as one of only 10 games but even with this version that i do have i think there are ways to make it some variability um like there are still quite a few different player boards and if you wanted to make it even more random than that like my actual favorite way to play is picking a random starting castle space as well. And that would be really easy to engineer a way to do on the table too. So it's the first designer double dip on either of our lists. I also want to just remark double felled for Jake. I wouldn't expect it any other way. Okay. <laughs> my number 10, seven, 
<laughs> not number 10. It doesn't really matter because they're not numbered. But the seventh game I would include for sure in my collection, not going anywhere, is El Grande. So El Grande, I mean, doesn't need an introduction. El Grande is like the classic area control game that people mention. It's also card driven. So it has a little bit of that, of that card gamey feel. It doesn't give you the variety or the variability of a card game because you all start with the same hand of cards. But there's one of the fun of card games for me is just sitting there holding a hand of cards, clutching that physical artifact, those objects, uh, and being around a table with other people doing the same thing and having that drive your play. So El Grande is awesome for that. It also, you know, it's it's really dynamic. It creates fun, like full game night experience. So this is another one that I just felt like I had to include. It's also fairly approachable and definitely rewards repeat play. I, I definitely also I needed a Kramer and Kiesling game. Uh, so this one, this one snuck on the list and is definitely my favorite of theirs. That's awesome. I didn't think about El Grande because I don't have it. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't in my consideration. But I think if I did, it would be a, a really shoe-in. strong consideration, if, yeah. if not a shoe in. Um, so I'll add that to my I've got a small list at the end of games that I don't own that I think would be perfect for this. Uh, nice. And El Grande needs to be incorporated into that because I think it, I totally agree. You know, it's just the right rules complexity of like being able to get new people into it and up to speed quickly while still having enough depth that you could play it infinitely. Totally with different folks. Yeah. Great pick. All right. My eighth game I'm picking and we've kind of gotten to my section of the list where I'm just picking games that are like just for me my special yeah. <laughs> little games uh, and number eight for me is my number one game of all time when I last did a pub meeple ranking a feast for Odin so this is uh, a game that I don't have the opportunity to play very often but I always want to have access to it for when that opportunity comes up maybe that's my birthday maybe that's a you know a snow day a day off work whatever and you know, if I have three hours and good buds around or people who are willing to tackle this, you know, beast of a game, relatively speaking, there's no game that I would rather play. So I just needed to have access to it. If you're not familiar, A Feast for Odin is one of Uwe Rosenberg's farming simulator games. But in this one, you play Vikings uh, and you have a huge menu of like 60 different worker placement spots. So it's another game that really fits well into that sandbox style yeah. of where you can sort of pick a path to go down and then have a completely different experience uh, every time you boot up the game as you try out a new strategy or a new hybrid strategy. So A Feast for Ode is my pick. Lots of room for exploration in that one, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't um, realize how important the sandboxy aspect was you yeah. know, until we're recording this. And now I'm like putting that connection together. It's like, yeah, I guess yeah. that is something I would value in a game that's going to be one of my 10. High explorability. Also, this is another one you could play solo if you wanted to, right? That's I a good point. A yeah, it role. does have a yeah, solo yeah. mode. Mm-hmm. How awesome. about that? Okay. Wow. Value. Value at, add. Yeah, look at that. Okay, so the next game on my list, I said I wanted to have a Kramer and Kiesling game, but I also, I guess, wanted to have a Kiesling game because I'm including in my collection games that I couldn't part with Azul. Azul is just, it's its become, you know, Jake, I've talked about this a few times on the show, but Azul has really just become maybe Maya and I, my wife's go-to game that we're playing all the time these days. Uh, we haven't even started exploring the optional variant backside where you don't have set locations you have to play tiles to. It kind of adds another puzzle to the tile play 
placement, which I'm sure we will get into at some point. But for now, it's the best way to play. It is an amazing way to play. I'm really excited because I think as soon as Maya kind of tires of playing as well, you'll be like, yeah, but now let's flip the board over and we have a new version of Azul to play. And she's going to be like, what? Because I, I had mentioned she's looked at it, but she's like, uh, whatever. Um, and I think it's going to blow her mind when she really learns the rules to that side of play. But Azul's just amazing. And I can play this is another one that operates on two levels for me, right? I can play it with as a sort of relaxing weeknight game with Maya, but we also love introducing Azul to new people. It's a great puzzly game that I feel like works really well for non-gamers and gamers alike. It's highly interactive. It has a great game arc. The pace and flow of Azul is just really good. And right now my list was mostly midweight Euros. And I wanted something that was somewhat lighter that gives you like bitey decisions and interaction, but you can play in under 30 minutes. So Azul is is a tough, it was kind of tough for me to find room on the list, but I realized that this is one of those games where if I didn't include it in my collection, I'd be sad that I hadn't included it. So here it is, Azul in the 10 games I would keep if I was cutting my collection down to 10 games full stop nice yeah i I mentioned azul earlier a 10 out of 10 game i think this is a perfect game for honestly like most people's 10 game collection it fits so well into that category of like collection essential but it's just not one that fits into my day-to-day life so unfortunately i wasn't able to include it but i cannot fault you yeah i consider it and can't fault you for picking it at all i also brendan had to pick a k and k game as well maybe that's the recency bias we just did the episode on it i picked my favorite one um and this is another one that's just for me you know i'm really building out my stable of games that i would have you know be able to bring my ikea bag full of board games to a game night and have lots of different selections and the game i picked was renature um it's a bit of a i think it's kind of falls into that hidden gem classification i don't know that's a game that people are talking about as much as they should be um but it's a con- incredible domino based territory control territory majority game with special powers uh and the more i play this game the the more i find warmth in the way these just completely disparate components mixed together i mean the look of the game the area majority element of the game it looks like it's straight out of the late 90s right yeah. like the base board looks like t call or el grande but then on top of it you have this i think a really modern system of these kind of crazy game warping special powers though they're very limited um that you can just use a few times per game and then all of that is driven by dominoes which are board game technology from the 1300s like it's kind of this like incredible mishmash of games of game mechanism game ideas and i think it comes together in a way that i just have to to me it's beautiful it's one of my favorite games and i think that it could only have come out of like a design team that as we know has over 75 years of experience Uh, so it keeps growing for me i think it's a game that thematically is more approachable for different types types of folks then i would choose to play uh, a feast for odin or bonfire with um but yeah it's really just like another game that i could bring to a game night or i could play two players with my wife forever so renature this is another one where the the special powers that you reference the cloud token system uh adds so much depth and complexity to the decisions that you can make in this game in a really rewarding way that would make it one that i don't think I would tire of quickly. It just balloons the decision space to be really engaging and interesting and skill testing. And then 
adding in the variability of the tiles, the dominoes that come out and the animals on them and how those kind of are revealed means that every game feels pretty different and is a tough puzzle to solve. This is also, Jake, the first game on your list that has a a true shared play space in a meaningful way. Uh, So I think for that reason, it's it's another one that looks like, wow, great addition. If I was swapping collections with you, I'm really glad you included Renature for me. Yeah, (laughs) That one's for Um, you. Yeah, exactly. That's for my friends who like interactive games. Yeah, exactly. So you uh, you included two games for the same designer. And I think for our listeners, there's this question, am I going to include two Kinesia games? He's my favorite designer of all time. And the there's also that hanging question. I'm going to call back. Is there an auction game on my list? Yes. Brendan, you yeah. already have two Kiesling games on your list. Oh my gosh. So the second double dip, the second double dip. Wow. People are dying to know, is he going to double dip twice? <laughs> he double dipped twice. And I double dipped with Raw. Yes. Raw is the game making both Jake and I is the first game making both of our lists. And Raw is another new to me game. I also have the 25th century version, though I have like the the retail version of the game, which I will say is luxurious also. I was stunned at how beautiful and thick the tiles are, how nice the bag of tiles, the, the number of tiles in this game is just obscene. Uh, Jake already covered why this makes such a great game to return to. But I think for me, another reason is that it scales really well by player count. I've played this game uh, now at three players and at two players, it worked phenomenally at those player counts. And I, I know it would go up to four and it also technically plays up to five and would be great there too. And I think having a game that's fun and tactical at two, that's an auction game. That's also a kind of set collection tile game. It just checks so many boxes that I, I felt like I couldn't part with raw. I cannot dispute the fact that there's some recency bias going on. Modern art was one of my favorite games of all time for a very long time and still is, but the variability in of what raw brings to the table just makes it a little bit easier to include for me. And I think I've played modern art enough that I'd be excited to have a, a new game to reach to for uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to that slot. So for me, raw took, took the cake and it's my included ninth game on my 10 game collection. I like raw so much more than modern art, yeah. which is fun. They're, I just raw. Ra- so modern good. art's a little stiff by comparison. Yeah. It's stiff and it can be a little bit, uh, fragile i guess which is the word in the way that modern that raw is not um okay so we have one crossover i'm interested if we'll have two i'm also going with a little bit of recency bias here the number 10 game that i'm picking on my list is challengers a new game that is no surprise to people in our discord and we've also mentioned on this podcast how much fun we've been having exploring this game mostly on on board game arena though i've played my physical copy now once in person Um, Um, And we played it in person at Geekway as well. So Challengers for me fits into that sort of social fun category. It's definitely more of a board game uh, than something like Just One or So Clover, but it's a significant step down in complexity to to where it could really work, I think, as a gateway game. It just has enough of that war card game element where you're just flipping cards over and seeing what happens, and it's going to be pretty fun for everybody, even if they're getting smoked. The reason I wanted to pick this game is for that reason, I'm having a ton of fun with it. Uh, It's a lighter game that can go to game night. It's a lighter game I could play with different folks. Uh, It also accommodates uh, up to eight players, which is nice to have something that was a bigger play group so really the thing that i had battling out for this spot was something like uh the resistance like i don't have a social deduction game uh which is you know and that feels like something that i'm missing on this list but i've had that 
experience a lot more. And right now, Challenger feels like a fresh new board game experience and decision space that I haven't experienced before. And I want to keep experiencing it and playing that type of game system more. And that's why Challengers was my last include. It was a difficult choice, but that's what I went with. Nice. I'm so glad to know that Challengers didn't get chucked in the bin uh, after it was very recently acquired. Also, this is probably the most natural (laughs) time to say that next week's episode of Decision Space will be a deep dive of Challengers. Uh, So just one of our classic episodes where we we go in and we look at the Decision Space that's that's there. I know I've played it almost 100 times on Board Game Arena, and I think Jake has too. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So over... We're definitely over 100 together. Uh, it's a game that's been nominated for the Kinnerspiel DRs. So we're excited to cover that one at a moment where it's it's really having its its time in the spotlight and I think deservedly so. So if, you're, if we've piqued your interest about this innovative uh, auto battler style tabletop game experience, come back next week for a deep dive on it. Jake, we didn't plan this at all, but in typical decision space fashion, we are firing on all cylinders because I have saved a social game for the end and mine is the one you did not go with it is the resistance the resistance is just one of my favorite games of all time it's one i can't i can't part with you know it's this is another light game right and it's one that it seemingly it would be easy to kind of cheat and just say i'll make it out of paper but i didn't want to do that i wanted to give it a full spot include it in my list because resistance is just that good this is kind of in some ways you know games games kind of become classics in a in a couple ways but i think one of the ways that they do is they kind of either come into a genre that exists and shows and present themselves as the cleanest most distilled version possible or they just kind of invent a genre like dominion but the resistance i think is a great example of the former where it's just the cleanest version of social deduction that allows you to grapple with the the most like interesting and prominent features of that genre where it's about trust trusting your friends and also deceiving your friends in a really rewarding meaningful way that creates high moments the more i play this game the more i appreciate the fact too that it variably creates really interesting situations that just don't make sense how such a simple rule set can produce them you'll end up in prisoner dilemma type situations with your friends when you're both playing uh the evil side the spies that i think are the most squirmy i ever end up feeling on the inside playing a board game and are just memorable and fun it's another one that you can play with anyone and another one that really rewards repeat plays with the same group should we read through our full collections one more time here yeah at the end jake okay let's do it um so mine is keyforge raw arkham horror lcg isle of cats so clover bonfire the castles of burgundy a feast for odin Renature and challengers and mine is babylonia cascadia just one broom service Keyflower, the fox in the forest El Grande, Azul, Ra, and the Resistance. I'm just real. You're, you're. If people vote on these, you're gonna smoke me. I just why? I think I just think with our listeners, I, I have some more like edge case ones. You know, like Renature, Bonfire. I feel like these are Isle of Cats. Like there's lovers and haters out there, but you've just got like bona fide classics up and down. <laughs> Trying to pick a list that'll stand the test of time. Uh, I think you have a great list too, Jake. I'm, I'm excited to see what people pick. Also, you have the challengers pick. So if people were going to select the collection they want, maybe they're swinging for challengers. I want to ask you one question. What do you think is the biggest gap 
in your list. Oh. You know, like I wasn't able to like cover all the things I wanted to. So I can think of two specific things for my list. And while you think, I'll just say uh, I, I don't have a, like a, a real social deduction and bluffing game because I didn't include broom service and I didn't include the resistance. Uh, there's not as much of an element of like a like I'm making a bluff. And I think that's yeah. such a fun part of gaming. So I'm really sad that I'm not having that sort of like pokery type of decision space happening as much. And then I don't feel like I have enough dice games either. Mm. Oh uh, I think the Castles of Burgundy and A Feast for Odin, a tiny bit, are the only games I included that have dice. And that feels sad. So I think a less selfish version of my list probably includes Resistance and Liar's Dice, which were like the next two that didn't quite make it. I have in my honorable mention, but this is my list. It's for me. So I wanted to be selfish and make sure I have plenty of those midway Euro games that are my favorite thing. In, for in me? Yeah, totally. For me, you've just made me realize I have no dice. This is the saddest thing about my collection is there are oh, zero no. dice present in this list. So that's a, that's a big gap. I'd say another thing is, you know, I love dueling card games and there's the Fox in the Forest is going to scratch the itch, but it's going to be an eternal itch that will be like this painful. I can never get rid of it with just Fox in the Forest, right? So for me, one of my honorable mentions that I really wanted to find a, a spot for here because it's a game that I could play eternally as BattleCon, but I just didn't feel like that I could include it with the number, the frequency with which I can get that game to the table uh, and the number of people who I can play it with. You know, inclusivity and wanting to play games with lots of people was one thing that I think that my collection tipped in that direction. Okay, let's do it. The surprise. Jake's been waiting for days. I genuinely don't know. Jake, right now, live on the show, for our audience, I'm going to invite you to do an exercise with me. This is our 10 game collections. Now we're doing our five game collections. Oh! So you have to, you, now you have to pull five more games off your list right here, live on the air. So you don't have this that much is, time to deliberate. So this just is brutal. Gut check right from the heart what your five game collection is. I think we should go back and forth drafting games. I also am going to do this live, though I had the advantage of knowing that I was going to make you do this at the end of the episode as a surprise for everyone. But I think this will be a nice continuation of the exercise where we see where the rubber really meets the road. We don't have to take it too seriously. But for me, my number one first inclusion that I, I'm not going to walk away from is the resistance. For all the reasons we talked about, I think it works for large groups. And it's just a great sort of game that I can play with anyone. And the highs of resistance are irreplaceable for me so it sneaks in yeah this is a really interesting experiment and i wonder if just as a thought experiment is it possible that a game could make somebody's five game collection that doesn't make their 10 game like perhaps it covers like two or three areas where they have like one game that covered both i'm not gonna do yeah. that but that just thought trigger for me the first one i'm gonna pick is raw uh, i think it's just the best example of a game i can play with family or with new gamers, but also a game I can like dive in deep and play with my game night crew. And I just love the production. And you know, if I just, I'm going to have like a few of these objects, board game yeah. objects in my house, I want to have a nice one. Awesome pick. Okay. For me, I said I couldn't cut key flower. I deliberate on it for hours and hours. So the game that I'm going to include here is El Grande. Get out of here, Keyflower. You're, you're off the table. I I need a Euro game. I need an interactive game. I want a game with cards. So El Grande is the pick. I think El Grande is just a, a perennial classic that I could see myself playing in 30 years. So I don't want it to leave the collection now. I think it'll be around for a long time. It, it covers so many bases. There's so many neat little mechanisms. Uh, and the way the action selection 
works with the variable actions that come out just means it's so replayable. El Grande is in my number five, top five collection. Awesome. I am going to pick a game not in my top 10. Okay, great. Do it. Do it. I, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick just one like that. Okay, just sick. narrowly missed for So Clover. And I think if I don't have I'm probably not going to pick challengers on this list. So having something that can play above six and I don't even necessarily like want to play So Clover at six. That's like a little bit too much. Like having that extra player count of of so clover pushes it over the edge and i feel like it can accomplish that social fun social play category better than both of those so just one is my second pick yep so that's awesome i love that you're pulling in a game outside the list because you're trying to cover more of your bases for the top <laughs> five that's so good uh for me i need a i need a Kinesia. so looking at the list it's between babylonia or raw uh i could like jake go to go to other Kinesia games in my collection uh Lost Cities, perhaps. I'm not going to go there. I'm picking Babylonia. I want it on the list. Babylonia is just great. It works at so all player counts really well. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great one. It gives me tiling and there's special powers in the game, which are kind of fun because every game feels kind of different. That's that's a show in for me. Awesome. I am going to go with Bonfire as my number third. And so wow. far, this is so far. This Over is, Castles of Burgundy. Well, maybe I'll pick that too, Brendan. Okay, but, okay. Uh, I'm picking Bonfire. Because I think that it just has more variety than Castles of Burgundy, and I, I love both games. Um, and also, it has the added bonus of I haven't played it 100 times. I've probably played it maybe a dozen, 16 times. Yep. Totally. Maybe it's more, maybe it's way more than that. Maybe it's like 40 times, but uh, yeah, really like nice. that game. Awesome. Okay, so for me, now my I love playing uh, Babylonia with Maya at two player, but I think it's it's technically, that, when that comes out, it's usually a little bit more, we have to be, have an appetite for conflict um, that's higher. It's just so much more directly, directly blocking. So the pick that I'm going to go with here, I think will surprise people just based on that description, but I'm, I'm not going to pick Cascadia for it and I'm not going to pick the Fox in the Forest. So my sort of couples game pick here is going to be Azul. I know it's interactive, but mine, I just really like the sort of like interactive drafting style games. And then Azul just scales so much better to four players and I can play it with family whereas the fox in the forest doesn't and cascadia doesn't and i've played cascadia more than azul though azul is getting close uh but azul is on the list it that's another one where it's just like is this game going to leave my collection in the next 40 years i doubt it I, I, if i'm going to the beach one day i'm bringing azul you know yeah no i, I mean it makes sense man you you guys are digging it uh i am, am now it's getting hard because i think i'm down to three possible options i'm not going to pick challengers i'm not going to pick renature i'm not going to pick a feast for Odin. I'm not gonna pick Isle of Cats. Okay. So that leaves me with Keyforge, Arkham Horror LCG, and the Castles of Burgundy. Keyforge and Arkham Horror LCG give me something so different yep. from anything else I have. And the Castles of Burgundy gives me so similar, but out of those three games, it's by far my favorite. I think I am going to what collection is going to make me more happy of the five? Well, I'll pick one now and I'll have one more to decide between. And I think shockingly enough, if I'm only going to have five games, I'm going to have Arkham Horror Living Card Game be wow. one of them. That's because awesome. It just offers so much depth and replayability. It's good at two. Uh, it's great at two. It's good at one. Um, 
So it kind of adds that duality. I can't really play Keyforge at one or the Castles of Burgundy. Uh, and just everything I said before about how much fun you can have like with the deck construction out of it. And I think I'll get a lot of use out of that if I'm only going to own five games. Yeah, that's awesome. I love this too. This totally shows too how this exercise is so useful for thinking about the way that we engage with games. Because if this was just top 10 list, Arkham Horror doesn't even make it, but it makes your five game collection. I think that says something about that game uh, and maybe highlights why people love it so much. It's just like there's so much utility in that box. So that's really cool. For me, Jake, the final game here is going to be Broom Service. Broom Service gets some cards in my life. It's not quite a full on card game, but again, it gets the card game ish play. It's actually kind of similar to El Grande in the way the cards get used within the game and how they dictate the pace of flow and decisions uh, around the table. Uh, but Broom Service is just awesome. I've already covered why I would want to include this game, but it's another donkey's face game. And that's just a type of game that I really enjoy. I know that you know that I know. So I'm going to do this instead. I need a game like that. And El Grande has a smidge of it, but Broom Service, it's the full dish. So I'm here to play. I love it. I don't want to say goodbye. It's included. Vincent Dutre right. art. Oh, Broom Service is great. That rounds on my list. Uh, and when I get down to Keyforge and the Castles of Burgundy, the answer is clear. I'm going to pick the Castles of Burgundy. I need oh. a dice game in my life, in my collection. I think Bonfire, Castles of Burgundy, Arkham Horror are all games that are still going to play awesome at two. Um and give me just a, a lot of life at that player count, which is the only player count I could play Keyforge at. I will be very, very sad to part with my collection, um, but I think I need to have a dice action selection Euro efficiency game in here. That's my favorite type of game. So Castles of Burgundy will be the final pick in my five game collection. Boom, double fell, double dipping on the top five. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I love it. That's I like great. what I like. <laughs> Yep. And, you know, so replayable. Feld's games are just great for that, of feeling different, offering different decisions. Even though you've kind of cracked the code on Castles of Burgundy, I think that at that point, it's just like, there's so much there. So our five game list, for me, if I had to call my collection just to five games, I would include Broom Service, Azul, Babylonia, El Grande, and The Resistance. And for me, Raw, Arkham Horror, Living Card Game, Bonfire, The Castles of Burgundy, and Just One. I will say, I don't own Bruges, but I would oh. definitely pick Bruges over The Castles of Burgundy just because it gives such a similar decision space, but it has that huge stack of cards to offer yeah. more variability. Interesting. So that, that'll be my one uh, honorable mention. And if I could only own five games, I would shell out for it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's awesome. You take all the other games that you had to call that you hopefully yeah. sold and just put those into yeah, buying Bruges. Awesome. Well, I hope that you all listeners have enjoyed this exercise looking at our what Jake and I's 10 game and now five game collections would be. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, next week's episode is going to be a deep dive of challengers. Uh, challengers is on board game arena. So if you want to try it, uh, try it out before the, the next episode releases, I encourage you to do that. It's a really quick to learn game. It takes around 30 minutes to play if you play live and it's fun. You'll get a lot of, a lot of good insight into the episode. If you just take a moment and play one, one game of that. Sounds good. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of decision space. As always, we want to thank Hembry for our intro and outro music reach out and remind you that if you've been enjoying our podcast, please. Please uh, give us a rating and review wherever you're finding this. Thanks so much and have a great week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.